see all of you here and those that are watching online today as we take a look at one of the, I, I think, real living challenges that, um, that we're facing today as a, as a culture, as a nation, as people, you know, just as people. Um, the, the issue really that the challenges that people are facing right now really go to the core of our belief system. When you're faced with challenges, when you're faced with testing, te tests uh, that test your faith, that test your, you know, the, the, the wherewithal in your, your life, and that test your courage, that test you in so many different ways, really what it comes down to is what is it that you really believe? And what you really believe kind of, whether it's going gonna, it's gonna to pass the test, it's going to go through it, or you're going to find that it doesn't really sustain you. And that's really where we are in our study. We've been looking at the book of Hebrews and uh, the writer um, of Hebrews in the previous chapter, right at the end, he says, he, he quotes from Habakkuk and says, the just shall live by faith. And then, then he goes on to define faith and to give us examples of faith. And he says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And, and so we see that faith has a substance, if you would, to it. There's a, there's, it is, in fact, itself the substance of hope. And that if you're going to be able to live out a hope-filled life, it's got to be because you have a solid faith, a faith that is founded on something. And that's what he does. He starts going through the issues of faith in these people's lives that have gone before us, the patriarchs, the people of faith that, you know, have, have in fact, their faith did sustain them. Their faith did get them to the, you know, to the place, to the promised land, to, to, to walk through challenges in their life. And so we look at their faith and we can pull from their examples. And that's what we're doing today. We're taking a look at it. Now, the, the, the writer is not telling us simply that you just have to have faith. That faith by itself is enough. That faith is, is really what it's about. Because just having faith is not really good enough. You, it's, you, you, it's, not, it's not just faith. It's what you have faith in. Today we live in a, a culture that says, um, you know, if, as long as you believe something, as long as, you know, you believe it, that's good enough. And not what you believe, whether it's true or not, is not the issue. It's just whether you believe it enough. And the writer says, no, no. The, 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 the truth of, in fact, what you're holding on to the truth of your faith is what establishes you, is what gives you strength, is what really makes a difference. It's the truth. And that's why when Jesus said uh, that he was the way, the truth, and the life, it's, it's, it's extremely important. Because what Jesus was saying is that he, in fact, himself was enough. He's the one. His word is enough. 
God's word. And that's what we see here established is that there are people who have a tremendous amount of faith, but it's just not faith in anything. It's faith in God's word. And it keeps coming up again that these people have learned to hold on to the promises of God, the word of God, and that has sustained them throughout their life and into, well, into eternity with God. And, and today, we're taking a look at the faith of four people. And there's a, a major um, element of this, th this uh, faith that is essential for all of us. In fact, where I want you to go, instead of going to our text first in Hebrews 11, I want you to go to John chapter 13 and verse number 3 with me. And I want to read this about Jesus. And this is prior to Jesus going to the cross. When he was getting ready, he was with the disciples. He's getting ready to take and make that sacrifice for us and our sins. The ultimate sacrifice in the, in the cruelty of the cross that he was going to face. The Bible tells us in verse 3, it's, it says, he did an odd, seemed like an odd thing at the time. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wiped them with the towel with which he was girded. Now, I take you to that portion of scripture because of that, that phrase about Jesus that actually took him to the most trying time of his life. The most difficult thing, of course, was when he was to give his life, the, the tremendous, and it took him not only to it, but through it. And what, was, what does it say about him? Well, as he was getting ready to go, before he did that, he wanted to give the disciples an example of what it would be to serve God and to live out their Christian life. And he, he knelt down, he washed their feet, he gave the example of servanthood. But it, it prefaced that by this, little, this phrase that says that knowing the Father had given him all things into his hands, that he knew what the Father had given him, but also that he had come from God and was going to God. He knew where he was going. He knew where he had come from. In other words, two major questions were answered by his faith, by what he knew. And it, did, and, and it brought him all the way through to the other side of the greatest difficulty and test that he would have to walk through. And of course, the sacrifice he would make for our sins. And he did it, it tells us here, it tells us that because of something he knew. He knew where he was going and he knew who he was. Those two things. He knew where he was going and he knew who he was. These are two major faith answers for us. And we see this in the text as, as the writer is starting to tell us, the writer of Hebrews. Remember, you, you always put it in context because when we're teaching these things, we're teaching them in small, small portions. But remember, there's an entire letter. 
and if you if you kind of lose track of what it, where it's been going, you don't get the full picture. And just remember that he's writing to some Hebrews, some Jews, young men mostly, who had come to faith. They had come now to faith. They were young in their faith. And there, there's tremendous pressure on them to go back, to go back to their Judaism, to give up on their faith in Christ. And there's persecution. They're facing real difficult challenges not to press through in their faith with God. And the writer is writing to them. The writer of Hebrews is writing to the Hebrews about this issue in their life. And so he, he starts off by dealing with these four individuals who understood where they were going. And he uses that example of faith. And I want you to follow along with this because you need to know where you're going. Where you're going. Turn to your neighbor and say, do you know where you're going? I know some of you are thinking in and out burger after service. Right? I'm, talking about, I'm talking about further down the road, okay? Do you know where you're going? So there's this forward view that comes from faith. Faith lives in the now, but it always projects into the future. Faith has this ability to look into the future with hope, and faith has the ability to anticipate the future by attaching itself to God's word. Now, he says in Hebrews chapter 11, he gives an example, and it says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the things to come. Now, we had talked about Abraham and how Abraham left the land that you know, he was at and went to a place that God had told him and he, how, how, how Abraham was ready to sacrifice his own son out of faith, believing in the resurrection. I mean, this guy had, had faith. Well, his son and his grandson and his great-grandson, well, th we're going to be talking about them now. In Hebrews, it's talking about Isaac, and it doesn't give much. I mean, I, in fact, Isaac doesn't have much to grab for. Um, there's not much in his story. He's kind of considered a man who's kind of mediocre in the middle of two people of great faith. But he had an element of faith that was essential. And the scripture says, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the things to come. Now, all of no, that little phrase, concerning the things to come, that's the phrase that, that kind of ties you into what kind of faith is bring, being looked at. It's a kind of faith that knows where you're going. It's a kind of faith that looks to the future and is, and, and is attached itself to a promise that God has given. And Isaac, um, an interesting guy, not, not much... Uh, of a man of faith in most of the things that he did. In fact, in some ways, he was kind of a coward. Um, he, twice, in fact, it's kind of a family trait that we see. Um, twice in his life, he, he was with his wife, Rebecca, and they went to a, a place where the, the, a foreign king was there, and he told his wife to say that she was his sister. Just in case somebody like the king wanted her, saw her as being beautiful, wanted her, that he wouldn't kill him to, to, to have, you know, to take his wife. 
So he puts it on her and gets her to lie, you know, about it. Puts her in, of course, danger and all that goes along with that. I mean, you, can you say this is a, a man of great faith and power? You know what I like about the Bible? I mean, I like a lot of things about the Bible. But what, what rings so true about the scriptures, the scriptures don't gloss over our heroes. The scripture tells it like it is. You know, fantasy books, they do that. You know, the hero, they don't really show all the, the weaknesses. They don't, they, they put them, it always puts them in the light of, you know, of being, uh, you know, great and heroic, not the scriptures. The Bible tells us exactly as, as it is. And Isaac was not that guy who was always this great, courageous, you know, hero. He had a lot of flaws. But what Isaac did have, what he did have, in all of his weaknesses and all of his flaws, he did believe the promise that God had. But he didn't, listen, he did this, he did this with, um, even, even some begrudging in his life. The, the story is talked about, and I, I can't go into all this. I don't want to go into all the story. We don't have time to do that, to go into all the background stories of each of these. But each of these have at least a, a snippet of understanding that you can have in, this, in, in what is being brought out. And Isaac, well, remember the story that Isaac and, and uh, Rebecca had they had two kids. They were twins. And one came out holding the, the heel of the second one. And, and so you have Isaac and, uh, and, and, uh, his, and Jacob and Esau were his, his sons. And, and God gave a word to uh, Rebekah. In, in fact, it says in Genesis 25, it says, the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, two people shall be separated from your body, one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Now this prophecy, this came out as a prophecy about these two boys. So Jacob became the child of promise and Esau was to be one who would have a, you know, ha have a, a great heritage and so forth. But he was not to be the child of promise. The, the, and he was not to be the, the head. So, but the problem was that, that um, I'm sorry, Esau was not to be that, that person. But the, the problem was that Isaac, he, he was more fond of Esau. Esau was the hunter. Now, I don't know if it's simply because Esau brought the meat home. That was, you know, I mean, that, 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 could, get, that could get a dad kind of, you know, siding on one side more than the other. I mean, Jacob was good with vegetables, you know, but, but Esau brought the meat home. And, uh, and, and he was more, you know, he's kind of a man's man kind of guy. And Jacob, he became, well, tell you, talk about a dysfunctional family. Um, mom loved Jacob, dad loved Esau. They, 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 they were specifically giving favoritism to, you know, their, the one they liked. There was a division in the family. And if you know the story that Esau came home kind of hungry and Jacob took advantage of it and, uh, and Esau despised 
his birthright, gave it away. Um, but then Jacob, under the influence of his mother, when the Bible says that Isaac was ready, considering the fact that he was going to die. Well, he, wasn't, he was, he was going to live quite a few years longer, but he, he had gone blind. He thought he was at that age, and he wanted to give the blessing. Now, the blessing is what he got from Abraham. Abraham gave him the blessing and blessed him and talked about his future. That promise of God would come through him. Now, he wants to give the blessing, and he wants to give it to Esau. But you know what? Isaac knew that this promise that God said the younger would lead. The younger would be the child of blessing. He knew that, but he didn't want it to be that way. So what he does is he tells Esau, you go, you know, go get me a good meal. I'm ready for a good meal. We'll have a good meal, and then I'm going to bless you, you see. Even though God had said, no, the blessing was supposed to go through Jacob. Now, it shouldn't have happened the way it happened. And it didn't have to happen the way it happened if, if Isaac would have been obedient to God. If he would have been obedient, God would have made it work out the way God wanted it to work out. But if God is going to make it work out he, because he said, it will work out. But if you put a clog in things, it won't work out well for you. And either for others. So God said, Jacob's going to be the leader. Well, then Rebecca gets in the mix and she tells, you go and you trick your father into giving you the blessing. Says he'll, he'll never go for it. You know, because my brother's hairy and I'm not, my brother's, you know, my brother's, you know, he's a, he's a, he, he's a hunter. I mean, he smells like that. So they did all the work, you know, they put on fake, <laughs> fake uh, hair on his arm and all of that. And now his dad's blind, but let me tell you, could, could you think that one's going to work? That isn't going to work unless God's in it. Because God is going to get, the blessing's going to come. And I think Isaac, he, he thought, he, he wasn't, it wasn't, didn't seem right to him that when Jacob came in and acted like Esau to bring him the food, he was a little leery, but he was eventually convinced and gave the blessing to Jacob as it should have been. And when Esau comes back, Listen to what it says in Genesis 27, 32. And his father Isaac said to him, who are you? And he said, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly. See that phrase? That trembling is a trembling of remorse. Trembled exceedingly and said, who, where is the one who, who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. Now, what you see here is Isaac, at this point, I believe he is realizing God got what he said he was going to get. God said this, and I have been resistant. And I believe that trembling was a recognition 
God's still in charge. He's going to get what he wants. And in fact, he, he didn't recant that blessing to Jacob. He didn't try to pull it back. He gave it and he says, it's already given. And I believe that was a resolve in his heart that what God said, God is going to do. And God is making it happen. And I'm going to surrender to that now. But what I want you to see in Hebrews here, he says, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons. Of, um, I'm sorry, go, go back. Um, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. So what did Isaac do? He blessed him with the future blessing. The blessing of Abraham came to Jacob first. And the blessing that would for Esau was for his future. What was he looking to? Well, the scripture is saying that what he did is he grabbed onto the promise that was given his father, given to his father, the promise of God, and now he passed that on because he believed and he was looking what? To the future. He was looking to the future. He was a man of faith that knew what the future would hold because he knew what the promise had said. And he had given that blessing to his sons to the future. So in all of his weakness, he still, he still held on to that faith. He's in the hall of faith, right? He's in the hall of faith even though in his life he wasn't specifically a man of great faith and great courage. And so many of the things, there was an element of his faith that was secure. He believed what God said, and he went forward with it. The, the, the next one is by faith, Jacob. Jacob, you know, obviously had received the blessing. And you could pull some things from Jacob's life, but he pulls this one. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons, each of the sons of Joseph, and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. Leaning on the top of his staff. Now, see that little phrase, leaning on the top of his staff? People who would know, this, know the, uh, the story would immediately grab on to that one. He's leaning on the top of his staff. Why is he leaning on the top of his staff? Because of an incident he had. See, Esau, he, he knew, Jacob knew that Esau was going to kill him. That's what he had promised. Esau said, I'm going to kill my brother after he stole his blessing. So Jacob takes off. And he lives in the foreign land for a long time, gets a wife, a couple wives actually, comes back. He has this, all this story that, uh, of, of his life. And he's getting ready and he's lined, lined up knowing that his brother is coming. He's trying to get back to the, his, his homeland and he, he gets news. His brother's coming with 400 men. And he's a dead man if God doesn't help him. And so he, gets, he, he goes into a time, he goes to prayer and the Lord meets him. And the scripture says an interesting thing because we hear people say this that Jacob wrestled with God. And he did. He actually wrestled with an angel sent by God. Some people believe it's the pre incarnate Christ, it's the, called the Christology. But, but the scripture says that, that Jacob wrestled with God. But actually, the scripture says prior to that, that God wrestled with Jacob. And then Jacob wrestled with God. Now why is God, you know, doing a takedown on, on Jacob? 
God is going to change Jacob whether he likes it or not. He's going to break Jacob whether he likes it or not. I've said before that, listen, what you want to do is you want to wrestle with God until God wins. It isn't about Jacob winning. It's about God winning. And Jacob was fierce in holding on. He was trying to get something from God. He was saying, you've got to protect me. You've got to bless me. My brother's coming. He's going to kill all of us. You've got to protect me. And I need your blessing. And in all of this so-called wrestling, it's kind of like when, you know, I wrestle with my two-year-old grandson, you know. Oh, you got me. You know. That's God. Oh, that was a good move, Jacob. <laughs> but as he's wrestling with him, and just to, just to kind of let Jacob know, listen, it's not, I'm, you know, you're wrestling, but it's not a problem here, Jacob. He takes his finger and he just touches his hip and it goes out of joint. And Jacob is leaning on his staff in his old age because it becomes a reminder to him. A reminder that he wrestled with God and God won. And he surrendered to God on that day. He surrendered. And God changed his name. God changed his name. He became a prince with God on that day. And God blessed him. And so while he's leaning on his staff still in old age, what does he do to Joseph's sons? He blesses them. He passes the blessing. Listen, the blessing of Abraham through your seed shall come the seed that will bless the world. All the world will receive. All nations. All nations will be blessed because of what will come through your seed. The promise of God, the blessing of God. What is he doing by faith? He's looking into the future. He's not done. Well, Joseph, okay, Joseph then, God, um, the, the writer goes, jumps to Joseph and um, the, Joseph was one of the sons of Jacob. You, many of you know the story. He was, he, he was, um, he was despised by his brothers because he was a favorite of his father. And um, they sold him into slavery. He ends up going, you know, at, becoming a slave, and eventually falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. Ends up in prison, gets out of prison, ends up giving you know, interpreting a dream for Pharaoh and becomes the highest, most ranked, highest ranked person in the entire Egyptian kingdom. <laughs> only, only under Pharaoh. And he really rules Egypt. And, I mean, talk about a man of great faith. Story after story. If you want to talk about somebody of great faith, take a look at Joseph's life. Joseph is just... He, you know, every step along the way is a man that holds on to the promise of God when everything else looks terrible. 
He's sold into slavery, he's still looking to God. He goes to prison, he's still looking to God. All the way through, he's looking to God. And what does the writer pick up on? Look at what the writer picks up on. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. What? Of all the things of faith, that's what you pull out? What was this story? Well, this is Joseph. Actually, it was a very small portion of his wonderful life of faith. He just said this. See, God had told Abraham, and it was passed on from generation to generation. God told Abraham, I'm going to take your people, I'm going to take you and your children into Egypt, and they're going to be there for 400 years. And they were for 400 years, and I'm going to deliver them. In that 400 years, they grew and 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 they were taken care of immensely, eventually became slaves though, and God delivered them from slavery. But God had said, I'm going to bring you back to the land. So here's Joseph in Egypt, and what is he holding on to? A promise of the future. God promised that our people will get back to the land of promise. And so, when I die, don't Bury me. Put you in this sarcophagus, but don't bury me. Keep me. I want out. I want my bones buried in the promised land. I know it's supposed to happen, uh, you know, quite a few hundred years from now, but I want that. So the writer picks up on this one little thing a faith that Joseph has. Why? Because in all of these situations, in every single one of them, they're men of faith who are looking to the future promise that God has had, and they're living out their life because they know, as Jesus did, where they're going. Are you with me? They knew where they were going, ultimately. And so, then he writes, in verse 23, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. Now, what parent doesn't think your child's beautiful? Right? And they were not afraid of the king's command. So now it says Moses, and it's like a story of Moses, but Moses' story starts with his parents. His parents were people of faith. And if you remember, at this time, the the Hebrews were growing so rapidly, the Egyptians were getting nervous about how powerful they're getting, even though they were slaves, because they're so outnumbered, because of the sheer numbers of them. So Pharaoh decides, I want you to kill all the, the, the children. Every, every child that's born, I want, the, want them to be, the child to be killed before they, you know, take their first breath. Throw them in the Nile. And, uh, but see, these parents of faith, they don't kill their children. They know that their children must live. At least this couple did. And the scripture says that they decided to rebel against the king's command because they believed a promise. And they believed it for their child. So mom and dad had faith. 
And then it says, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, what's happened in this time frame? Well, they saved Moses, but when they can't hide him any longer, they put him in a basket and send him down the river. Just so happens Pharaoh's daughter picks him up, takes her as her own, and then says, go find me, tells one of her servants, go find me someone, a Hebrew, a Hebrew mother who could take care of this child with me, could be, help me with this child. So it just happens that they find his mom. And so here, mom now is taking care of her son. Her son is getting the best care, and she's getting paid for caring for her son. It worked out pretty good. So now, so Moses is growing up. Now, here's the thing that you must understand. I, I think, I don't think I'm reading much into the text to be convinced that while she's raising her son, she's telling him the stories. She's telling him about the God that they love and they serve. She's telling them about you know, what it is that God has done. She's telling them about the promise that was given to Abraham and has been passed on. And now he is understanding what's going on. This is the who am I portion of faith. This is the who am I portion of faith. Because I want you to see Again, it says, by faith, Moses, when he became of age. So at a point, and we know at, by at least when he was 40 years old, there, it, it, it came to a head. But when he came to age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I mean, that was, being the son of Pharaoh's daughter is a big deal. It's a real big deal. I mean, there is tremendous privilege. In fact, Josephus, the historian Josephus, so it's not in the Bible here, but the historian Josephus says that Moses was the crown prince, that he was the next one in line. He also says that he had achieved great military uh, prowess as he's gone out and he helped and defeated some of the enemies uh, of, the, of, of Egypt. But he is come to a point where he refuses to take the privilege of being Pharaoh's daughter and to be called. It did not, not just the privilege, but to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Why? Because he knew where he was from. He knew where he came from. He knew who he was. And it's not just the, the physical knowing who he was. He knew he was, a, he was one who believed in a total different God than all those around him in Egypt. He had a faith and he trusted in God. And look at what it says. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. What kind of choice is that? Who would make that choice? Who would make that? Who would make the choice that I think 
I think I'm just going to go ahead and be persecuted. I think I, 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 I like that one. I have a choice. I can have all the, I can have all the riches that this world has to offer. Every privilege that this world has to offer is right here and right on this side, desert living. Persecution, right? Living right in the middle of Barstow. I mean, what, how do you, what do you take, this or this? And Moses willfully takes this. How would he do that? I mean, looking backward now, we would say Moses made the right choice. Right? He made the right choice. Where is Moses today? Well, we've already seen him in the scriptures even at the time of Christ when he came down with Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. There was Moses with the Lord. We, we know he made the right choice, but when he made that right choice, it didn't look like the right choice. He made the right choice because of who he knew he was. He knew who he was, and that was the determining factor in the choices he made. Like I said, when you know who you are, when you understand and you're convinced, by faith you know who you are, then that determines the decisions that you make. I don't think this was a difficult, this was, wasn't one that Moses took out a piece of paper and drew a line down and says positives and negatives. You know, he didn't go down the list and say, okay, I've, you know, son of Pharaoh's daughter, positive number one, wealth. Positive number two, you know, I can have, you know, any female in the kingdom. Positive number, you know. He didn't go and then on the other side, Desert living, um, you know, persecution, running for my life, trying to get a meal here and there. He didn't lay them out. There wasn't a process. But if he would have, even if you go through that list and at the end you put on, on, on the side of Pharaoh's daughter keeping that whole thing going, death, the end, separated from God eternal damnation. On the other side, at the bottom, you put saved, rescued from God, eternal destination with God, the kingdom of God. So even though this one's weighing heavy, all of a sudden, phew, this one passes it up. But I don't think he even had to do that. I think the fact was he knew who he was. And because he knew who he was, it dictated who and what he would do at that moment. It was an automatic. It was, it was a simple answer. It says, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible faith. He saw the Lord. He saw him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should, should touch them. Now, 
I, I, I purposely missed verse 26 because I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to see this in verse 26. I want to come back to here. It says, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches. Reproach for Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. And then there's this phrase. For he looked to the reward. See, this is what faith does. And it, you, you, you look, faith that he's talking about, the kind of faith that sustains you, is a faith that looks beyond whatever challenges you're facing right now. And some of you are going through some very difficult times. All of us are facing some things, but everyone, you know, some... So at, at some point, the scripture says, um, having done all, talk about the putting on the armor of God, having done all, stand, that you are to stand, and it makes this phrase, in the evil day. I don't know if you've gotten to the evil day. Some of you say, I've had a lot of them, right? That, that, that on the evil day, on that, that time where everything kind of falls in on you all at once, he says, Stand. You've got the sword of the spirit and a shield of faith, and you've got, you've got all the weaponry. You've got the helmet of salvation. You, you, you're ready to go, and then that hits, and you stand at that point because you're a person who has the shield of faith, and you have this, the word of God, the sword of the spirit, and you face those challenges totally differently because you know not only where you're going, but you know who you are. And you look to the reward. I want to say that knowing who you are is a progressive revelation. I know who I am better now than I, when I first came to Christ. But when I came to Christ, all of a sudden it was a leap for me, all of a sudden I discovered some things. Some things I was learning. Like, I remember believing that, okay, God loves the world and he gave his son. I, that's, that, I knew that. John 3, 16, I, I came to know that, you know, as, as a Christian. But I remember when it was, no, God doesn't love the world. God loves me. God loves me. And, and that was, that was, that was a, a truth revelation to my heart. It wasn't just that someone pointed and said, God loves you. I, love, I think those are important times when people do that. I hope we do that to one another. God loves you. But you, when you, it, it becomes part of you. It becomes a truth that you have not only accepted, you'll never forget or never ever let it, you know, and let it be gone from your heart. You, that, you know that. And when that's settled, that changes everything. I just wrote a, a list of just, it's a small list. And I, th this could go on. There's about a hundred designations that the Bible says you are. I just wrote a few of them. 
enough, hopefully, to kind of get you inspired. Like, for instance, the one I just said, you're loved by God. You are loved by God. You're an heir of God and a fellow heir with Christ. All that God has given, all that God has is ours. We're fellow, fellow heirs. We're blessed of God. God is determined to bless your life. You are a blessed person of God. You're a child of God. You are a child. Beloved, John said, now are you children of God. You're a child of God. You're part of the family. You notice when I come up each Sunday, I try to, I try to greet you with a simple Good morning, family. Not good morning, church family. I think that's cool, too. We are a church family. But we're not just church family. Not according to God's word. You're a child of God. I'm a child of God. We're a family. You're my family. And I'm grateful for my earthly family. I love my children, my grandchildren, my family. Parents, I love all of that, but your family too. You're, you're alive in Christ. You have real life. In fact, the Bible says you never, you will never die. Says so that doesn't seem right. Seems like people die that are Christian. Yeah, you'll never die. He that believes in me, Jesus said, will never die. Last night when you closed your eyes and you eventually got to sleep, the moment you fell asleep, if it was death, you just wake up and you're right there. Death is not, you will never die. You keep living. Just in a different place for a while. You're a citizen of heaven. That means all the privileges of citizenship are yours as a child of God. If you believe that, then you, then you, you draw on that in your life. You live that out in your life. You take advantage of those wonderful truths in your life. You're an overcomer. Actually, you're more than an overcomer, the Bible says. You're more than an overcomer. You're gonna, you, you have a guaranteed victory. In fact, We've already seen the, 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 the living um, story. You know, we watched the ball game. We watched the game. Today, FC plays, and we watched the game all the way to the end. We know who wins. We know what the score is. FC wins, 28 to 14. But then you're watching the replay, and other people don't know what the replay is, not, they don't know it's not live, but here's the point. God has already seen the story. We're watching the replay. And this is what God says about it. You overcome. You win. See, he's already watched the, 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 the live one. He's timeless. Replay is going. He says, calm down, relax, settle down. Guess what? I see the score. You clobber them. You, you enter into heaven, I mean, victorious. You got the crown on. You, you, you have won. You've got it. 
Stop sweating it. You're redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. How valuable are you? You're God's workmanship, his poem, the Bible says. You're his workmanship. You're his work of art. You're saved by grace. We could go on and on. Jesus knew who he was. He knew where he came from. He knew where he was going. So he could go to the cross. He could, he, while on the, in, in the process, he knew he was where, where it was going to end. He knew he was going to rise again. He could lay down his life. He could suffer. He'd go through the greatest trials and difficulties. Because he was confident in who he was and where he was going. And I hope you are too. Some of you are going through very difficult times. Challenges in your life, even in your faith. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? Do you know where you're going? Be reminded this morning. Mighty man, mighty woman of God. Be reminded of what God has done. Be confident. You'll You'll live your life in victory, no matter what you face, with that kind of confidence. Well, let's pray. And I've gone way over time. But what I want to do is we're going to have communion, so I'm going to ask the ushers if they would get ready. If you'd like to take communion with us, be ready to do that. Um, Ask the ushers if they'll pass out the communion immediately. And... uh, we're going to we're going to worship the Lord. I want to I want to talk uh, to those who just for a minute while we're getting ready. Um, maybe you're distant from God, um, either here. Those of you here, maybe there's some some folks that just you've never given your life to Jesus. Being a Christian is being a follower of Jesus Christ, and. Um, if you're watching online, same thing. We're about to take communion. And what communion is, is, is an ordinance that Jesus instituted before he went to the cross for us to remember. And, and what he did is he took bread. It was unleavened bread because it represented him, his body. And he said, this is my body which is given for you. And so he gave it to his disciples and they then broke it and and they um, they ate and then he took the cup and he says this is the cup of the new covenant of my blood as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup you show the Lord's death until he comes well what Jesus was doing and giving us a reminder of is the fact that salvation eternal life comes through a gifted act that he did for us He paid the price. He took our place, actually. The wages of sin is death. And from God's economy, if you sin, the judgment, rightful judgment, is eternal separation from God. 
you don't get to enter into a perfect place having sin in your life. God doesn't, God prefers not to have judgment toward us, but it is just. So Jesus took our place. He died on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sin. But he won't force anyone into the kingdom. He won't force anyone to accept his gift that he gave us. But he offers it freely. And we make the choice. He doesn't want to go against our free will. So our choice is, if you choose, then he will, in fact, apply what he has done for everyone who accepts him. The sacrifice he made for you will be applied to your life. He has already took your place if you accept it. And that's what Jesus offers. But he offers more than just forgiving us of our sin, which is a pretty big deal anyhow. He offers us an eternal relationship with him. It's the beginning of life with Jesus. A relationship with God that he so desires. But it all starts there. And if you've never given your life to Christ, I want to encourage you. It's not communion that saves you. We'll take it in a minute. But it is faith in the work that Jesus accomplished for us. You just accept it. And you can pray a simple prayer and say, Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. I believe you died for me. You were buried and you conquered death. I ask you to cleanse my soul of all of my sin and help me to follow you. Help me to get to know you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to get our hearts prepared for communion. Let's, we're going to join in, in worship. In fact, I think I've ran out of time, so let's do this. Go ahead and open up your communion cup. And uh, I'm going to swallow mine whole because I can't get mine open. <laughs> Anybody else having trouble with that? Okay, got it. So, Lord, we take this bread. We thank you. We break it because you, were, you gave yourself for us, your body was pierced the sacrifice you made we receive Lord by faith what you've accomplished for us in our own life we're reminded with gratitude your goodness receive we take the cup Lord thank you for the sacrifice you made the blood that was shed we receive, Lord. We receive the cleansing that you've given us. We confess our faults. We confess our sin. We confess that we're sinners. We confess we're saved by grace. And we're cleansed by your blood. And we receive in Jesus. close in worship. You can stand.
you need to go free, feel free to do that. But those who want to stick around for a second, let's just lift our voices to the Lord. Sing of his promises evermore. 